Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey, everybody, it's Bob again, and I've got Nonstop Sales Boom, Powerful Strategies to Drive Consistent Growth Year After Year, and I've got Colleen Francis with me today. Colleen, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Hey, you know, um, just even reading the title of the book, and by the way, I've got a signed copy of it, and a sticker says, Signed by Author. <laughs> Nonstop sales boom. Okay, everybody kind of gets that concept, but powerful strategy to drive consistent growth year after year. You got to have consistency, let's face it. Going through the book, one of the big things at the beginning you're saying is that a lot of people are on this roller coaster of, of uh, feast and famine and, and uh, doing really well and then doing really poorly. There's no consistency. For you, do you think that's the biggest problem uh, sales professionals have? They just don't have a system that they're consistently utilizing so their sales are just on this nice upward plane. Absolutely. And I think this is a problem for sales reps who work for individual companies, like they're you know one person on a big team. And for solo entrepreneurs or consultants, small business owners, even retail shop owners, we see these um, ups and downs, booms or busts of revenue because what happens is when the salesperson gets into delivering their product or service and serving customers or closing deals, they stop paying attention to that front end of the pipeline and they stop their marketing and they stop their prospecting. And then all of a sudden, there's uh, nobody to sell to. And it's an incredibly stressful way to run your business or your life. <laughs> oh, no kidding. It, yeah. Do you think that, that you know, it's all about motivation and, and it's a tough job. It's one of the most important jobs out there. And it's not recognized as one of the most important jobs or, or it, I don't know what's wrong with society. They say, yeah, sales guy, he's low, he's low, he's not important. The most important person, you know, you talk to the accounting department, said, you guys don't have a job without this guy. Give exactly. them a break, help them do their job. <laughs> we pay for everybody's salaries. <laughs> exactly. But nobody gets that. I just don't understand. Well, I think that a lot of other people in business like to think, and you know, it's it's not a bad attitude to have, but they like to think their product would sell itself. And while I applaud people for being so passionate about their products that they think they should sell themselves, um, nothing ever does. Well, do you think the job of a salesperson is to be more of a of an educator and and a person that that's a, that isn't kind of jamming it down somebody's throat saying you should buy this you should buy this it's more sitting back listening to the person and say oh you know i i recognize that problem here's the product that will fix it and also have the the guts to say oh you've got that problem i actually don't have the product to fix that but i know somebody that does let me help you by connecting him with that person yes i don't like the word educator with sales only because um, if we do too much education, we give away too much stuff for free. Um, we need to be experts. So you're right, problem solvers and experts. So salespeople need to be able to sit down with a prospect or a buyer or a customer um, and talk through the problems that they're having and make recommendations to solve those problems. And like you say, rightfully point them to other companies or service providers if they can't solve the problem. 
Um, so they need to be expert enough in their products and their markets and the problems, the business problems that it solves to be able to provide that buyer with a series of options. But if we educate too much, what we don't want to do is solve all their problems without them paying for it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, a very good friend of mine called it Vendor University, and he said he's so sick of uh, being a vendor university for for the Chinese that are coming here and basically spending a lot, a lot of time. And this guy does high-end stuff um, that is very specific to skill sets. They come, they, they ask a ton of questions, and then they go away and there's never, ever a sale. So he just doesn't do it anymore. He's very hard-nosed. And his whole thing is, oh, you want to know how it works? Great. I'll Here's a facility that we built. Check it out. And they go, whoa, that's great. What about this and that? Not interested in telling you. Now, you sign, me a, you, you sign a contract. You give me the first deposit. I'd be happy to tell you what we're doing exactly. And I see all sorts of industries going that way um, because there's too much work that has to be done in the front end that needs to be compensated for. And, you know, salespeople don't need to get into the business of free consulting. They definitely have to build trust and rapport um, with their prospects so that the prospect feels like they will be able to solve the problem, but you don't want to give away all of that value for free. Absolutely. Now, this way may seem like a basic question, but what do you think is the role of a salesperson or a sales team? Well, the role, I guess it depends on which angle you're looking at it. The role for the company is to produce revenue um, and profit. Well, I should say profitable revenue because <laughs> we don't want to produce unprofitable revenue um, unless you're a startup like Amazon or Salesforce.com, right? <laughs> <laughs> But for most companies, the sales team is the revenue engine for the organization and the profit engine. So it's your job to go out and create a community of evangelists, customers, or a community of buyers who want to buy your product, um, who will pay for it, um, and who will reward you with ongoing business and referrals to others. You are the front face of the business, right? You are the personality of the business as well. You are the culture of the business to the to the buying marketplace. Now, you used a very couple of very interesting words. The first word, community. You didn't say clients. You didn't say prospects. You called them the community. Why community? Communities are critical to business success because a community is a group of like-minded people or maybe a market, you could call it, you know, a vertical market um, of people who are advocating on your behalf. These are people who, they're attractors, they're people that you want to be associated with and they want to be associated with you. And communities are very positive forces. They are forces for good. Um, you will notice that one word I never use in my business or with my clients is the word tribe. And that's what a lot of people refer to. I have to build my tribe. I have to manage my tribe. Tribes are warring factions. <laughs> we don't want that in business. We want communities, communities of interest and communities of practice. Yeah, I think a lot of people are misusing tribe uh, because they they misunderstand the concept. I, I, I think really what they meant when tribe is is more the social structure within it. And one of the, 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 the marketing strategies for tribes is finding who is the dominant um, male or the dominant female in that tribe and sell to them, get them excited about the product. And then because they're utilizing that product, everybody else falls in line. Uh, movie stars is a great example. You know, that's why they say, oh, I drive this particular car. Then that tribe of people or community people say, oh, well, he's an influencer, so I need that car now. It's it's a nonsensical way of buying, but with <laughs> cons consumer buying, a lot of times it is relatively nonsensical. 
Sure, but we can use the word community. I think that a community is inherently more supportive than a tribe. And it, for me, it's about mindset. We don't want our clients fighting with each other or against each other um, in different marketplaces. We want them actually supporting each other and referring each other. So I I tend to talk about communities um, and communities of practice. There's multiple different communities that we can create to run a successful business. Communities of buyers, communities of advisors, communities of um, customers, communities of prospects, communities in Europe, communities in North America, wherever they happen to be. And when we bring people together who love our products and advocate on our behalf, they are the best sales force for selling to our uh, prospective buyers. We call them your secret sales force. Oh, I like that. That's great. Let's dig a little bit into the book, you know, the premise of the book, uh, Boomer Bust. And, and I think that is something that we all suffer from, uh, whether you're a one-man entrepreneur or you're running a sales team, there are patterns. And your book is all about, yes, we recognize there's a pattern, but there's also a technique that will basically enable you to have a consistent funnel, you're having consistent closing, you're building relationships at, without scrambling all the time. Out of all those techniques, what, what do you think is the one that a person has to do first? So the first thing is that people need to understand the math. So one of the reasons why a bust is created is that salespeople or business owners don't understand how big their sales funnel needs to be, how many leads need to be in the pipeline, how many opportunities, qualified opportunities need to be in the pipeline in order for them to hit their goal. So they notoriously over or under plan. So it's really critical to understand the math. What is your conversion ratio between qualified opportunity and close? And for most people, so how many proposals that go out the door actually get closed? And what's your conversion ratio between all the leads that come in and how many of them become qualified or or get a proposal? Let's just use that as the baseline. When you know those ratios, then you can go back and say, well, if my business needs to be, um, if I need a million dollars in sales and my average sale is $100,000 and I have a you know 10% closing ratio, then I need... Uh, 10 sales to hit my goal. And if my qualified to closing ratio is 10, then I need to send 100 proposals out in order to get 10 sales. And if my lead to qualified is 10%, then I need 1000 leads to produce 100 proposals to produce 10 sales. I'm just using 10 as a number. I'm not saying that's what your number <laughs> that's is. That's not the magic number, yes. I can, I can do math in my head with 10s really easily. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, the very first chapter when we get into nonstop sales boom after we lay out the premise is, I think it's, it, well, it's called Of Math and Madness. And it's all about that math um, and building a calculator to help you there. Because if you don't understand that math and you don't know objectively how much work it's going to take, then you're either going to under or over work your pipeline. What's interesting about what you just said is that you've just laid out in, in, in a couple of minutes how to do sales. And so many business owners don't understand this is the way it works and they put undue pressure on their sales uh, team or person. Um, at the wrong time, or they're basically yeah. <laughs> sabotaging the ability of the sales team to be effective at all. Do you think management is, is a fundamental uh, 
thing that has to be addressed as a salesperson and, and to get everybody to understand how the sales process works understand the industry that you're in saying look at this is a we're in a a, a three-week sales cycle or we're in a, a 12-month sales cycle or we're in a 32-month sales cycle please understand that because that's how things have to work oh absolutely and i'll be really clear about this um the buck stops with the manager if the sales team isn't hitting their sales target it is 100 percent the manager's fault and I say that with love and affection, having been a sales director and a sales VP before. <laughs> but ultimately, if your team isn't performing, it's because either they haven't been communicated to effectively about what's expected, they haven't been trained effectively to do the work, or they're not the right team and you haven't recruited effectively or coached them effectively. Ultimately, though, they are your responsibility. <laughs> Now, we don't talk about this in nonstop sales boom, um, but I talk about it in my work as a consultant. We have to be able to assess that team objectively. I, uh, I was on the phone with a client the other day, and he said, Colleen, I need help. My team's not hitting the goal. I said, what's your goal? He said, we don't have a goal. We've <laughs> never told the sales team a goal. And it literally was one of those moments of stunned silence, which does not happen to me very often. <laughs> so I replayed that back to him. So Mike, you're telling me the team's not hitting the goal, but you're also telling me that you never told them what the goal was. He's like, yeah, that sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? I'm like, yeah, I think I know your problem. <laughs> yeah, my job is done here. Yeah. Call me when you've got another question like that. Love them. <laughs> Yeah, but it happens uh, more often than you'd like to think. <laughs> Do you think it's a forest in the tree? It, it, it's, you know, you're you're in, let's face it, in if you're in a, a sales department or you're running a sales department or you're you're one of the people um, trying to hit your goals, a lot of times you, you lose focus. It's like, I got to hit my targets and you forget everything else. I've got to do this and, and you're... You're focusing so intently on a close or, your, or a relationship or a trade show that's coming up that everything else gets stopped. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and that whole mantra from uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing or an overfocus on closing is one of the reasons why sales busts happen. Because when you do have a pipeline um, and you've got five or six opportunities that need to close and your manager is breathing down your neck, get these deals closed or you don't have a job or you're thinking, I got to get these deals closed or I don't have a paycheck, then you stop doing everything else and you focus 100% of your energy on getting those deals done and you stop paying attention to the front end of the pipeline, which is the work you need to do to create more business to close. Now, the other challenge with that is we often end up doing bad deals. When you're only focused on those deals at all costs, getting them closed, and you're desperate to close that business, you're likely to discount, you're likely to create terms or a situation that you know aren't in the best interests of your own company, but you do it anyways because you need the business. The interesting thing about selling is that every single sales problem that you have, every revenue problem, every profit problem that you have in the business related to sales can all be solved by good front-end prospecting techniques. Because when your pipeline is overflowed with qualified leads and you have the luxury of being able to say, yeah, that's a good deal, that's a bad deal, I'm going to walk away from this one, I'm going to take this one, the right deals happen and you always hit your sales goal. Yeah, what are the things that I learned many, many years ago is desperation does not make for a good sales vibe. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> What's it going to take? Oh my God. Because you're mm -hmm. going to get taken advantage of or people just won't, they won't want to do business with you because it terrifies you. 
people don't yeah. like it's a fight or flight situation if you run into a sales guy who's so desperate and that they're they've got all these ticks or or uh, maybe a, a better example is you know you're in a networking situation which is a sales situation mm -hmm. and you're meeting people and you run into the the idiot that jumps into your group interrupts the conversation <laughs> hands out a bunch of cards and say call me and runs away and everybody looks at it who the hell was that i don't know damn he cannot sell I was coaching a sales rep years ago for a staffing company and she couldn't figure out why she wasn't effective at networking events. So I went with her to a networking event and discovered that she wandered around the networking event with a clipboard oh <laughs> taking notes. And, and it was all very, you know, not even assertive. It was sort of aggressive in your face, almost like she was going through checklists as she was talking to people. <laughs> wow. Now let's throw that, let's, let's flip that on his head. You can go to a networking meeting with a clipboard if you have the right strategy, right? Hi, I'm doing a quick survey, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm new to the neighborhood. I'm new to this group. And I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you people when you've got time. It's like, okay, who in this group is this? Who in this group is that? It's like, oh, I need to talk to you. Can I borrow your card? Thank you very much. And then go to the next group. I did meet an amazing sales guy. And one of the things he uh, taught me was that you got if you're in a networking situation it's about you getting out of conversations with people that will never buy your product yes as quickly as possible and and in a disarming way and get to the next person and if you're going to a network meeting your goal is to to meet 3 to 5 people have their cards and 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 be able to call them up and do a follow up coffee afterwards because those are warm prospects those are those are higher chance um networks that those people own that will help your sales funnel or those people are, are potentially a customer. Yeah, unless of course those people who can't buy your product are powerful attractors of others. Um, and I've been in that situation before. In fact, one of uh, my most powerful attractors um, in my own business at Engage is a gentleman who will never buy my products. Um, he doesn't work for a company that needs them. Um, he manages an association that doesn't pay for um, for speakers, but he knows so many people that uh, he can attract to me, he can refer me to many buyers. So, I mean, I definitely agree. I think the whole point of networking events is to develop a network that you can call on later to set up meetings. So my approach in a networking meeting would not be to even do that survey right in the meeting. I would go up and talk and build a personal relationship and then ask someone and say, you know, I'm doing a survey because I'm new to the neighborhood. I'd love to have a follow-up call with you. Take five minutes of your time tomorrow. Could I, could I give you a call? And that way you're building, you're taking your time to build that relationship. Because what I found is that the longer you take to build rapport and the longer you take to do the qualification part of the sales cycle, the faster the sale goes at the end. And most people reverse that and they rush through the relationship, they rush through their qualification questions, they send a proposal and then the proposal gets stalled because the relationship isn't strong enough and the, the buyer just doesn't return their call. Yep, it's it's belief in the sale or belief in the person that's the salesperson that they're there to help you. You know, they're not here to, to, to rip me off or take advantage. They're generally there to help. So I think that's the power of networking uh, situations where if you have a, a vast network, you can solve people's solve people's problem and I think great salespeople these are people that are, you meet them and they say oh my god this guy's such a natural 
all they're doing is solving problems. They're at the network meeting and they ask you, so how's things going? Oh, I know a guy that can help you with that. Let me can, and, and those are the attractor type that you're talking about. They may never use your product, but they want to know about it in a fundamental way so that they can refer you your product to somebody else to solve a problem because they're working on long-term relationships and they become a, a trusted advisor. And eventually they'll ask the right question. It's like, oh, I'm having trouble with this. And you go, oh, well, I can help you with that. I actually have this amazing product. And they go, really? You're actually going to sell me something? This is amazing. Where do I sign up? Because a lot of times people think they owe you because you've helped them so much. Well, you're absolutely right about that. And I've always said that the biggest way or the best way to get referrals is to be referable. And you're referable when you're helping others first. So if you can go into a networking meeting with the sole purpose of helping um, people that you meet find others and refer others, oh, you need to meet so-and-so and you need to meet so-and-so, then they're going to return the favor. The power of reciprocity is so strong. Yeah. And, you know, connecting is a lot of fun. It's like matchmaking. <laughs> it is. You know, yes. it's 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 so part of being human is oh my god, you gotta meet Joe or you gotta meet Betty. They're, oh, you're gonna love it. And then if you introduce them on that level and they do hit it off, you get huge, huge bonus points. That's like, God, that Bob's such a nice guy. You know, we're doing all this great business. We gotta help that guy. I know. If only he would ask. So that's my next question. Do salespeople fail because they never ask? Well, many salespeople never ask for the business. And yes. So you will fail if you don't ask, absolutely. And I think that salespeople need to have a variety of ways to ask for the business. It's not always as simple as, hey, Bob, are you gonna sign an order, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to, it, it's gonna depend on your style and of course the prospect style. So I've seen closing um, as effective as ever when it's as soft as, hey, what do you wanna do next? Or where should we go from here? Or would you like to get started? And I've also seen closing effective um, in a more assertive tone that says, can we ship you the order on Tuesday? But regardless, you have to have something that asks the question um, to the prospect. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of my favorite techniques, the assumed sale or the assumed meeting setting. It's like, ah, hi, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, uh, I just have an opening next Wednesday. Are you free around 10 or 11? And they either say yes or no. If they say no, it's, oh, when would you be free? Then you're discussing about you coming. You're not discussing about the permission for you to come or whether you should come or not. It's like, no, I'm coming. Let's let's just make some room. Um, that's a little on the aggressive side, but if your timing is right and you have, like you said, you built a relationship or you're recognized as, as an answer person within that community, I think it's very easy to get those uh you know, sit down meetings because that's where the that's where the sale starts to happen. It doesn't end there, but it definitely starts there. Absolutely. And the concept in nonstop sales boom is that you're attracting clients. So when we talk about um, building a sales radar, one of the segments of that radar is attraction. And um, the ideal, the holy grail in in client attraction is that people are coming to you, you're not making cold calls. And so when that happens, the I have an opening next Wednesday at 10 isn't aggressive at all because they've come to you and said, you know, put their hand up and say, Colleen, I'd like to work with you. The reality is, um, and the biggest study on this was done by the conference executive board, the CEB, 
that they have found that buyers are 57% of the way through the sales cycle before they even pick up the phone and engage with a salesperson. So people are doing research. They're out there looking for solutions. They're uh, talking to their friends. They're going to association meetings. They're reading white papers. They're watching videos. Um, all in an attempt to solve their problems. And when they think that they found a solution or a set of solutions, that's when they pick up the phone or press contact me. And so most sellers today are facing a much more educated buyer and a much more qualified buyer. When we talk about client attraction, it's about getting your expertise out there so you can be found. Absolutely. Well, and and you struck on a, a very salient point, which is everybody is way more educated because it's so easy to get through information. Now, it's very easy to get misinformation as well. And, and a lot of times a salesperson's job is to re-educate or refocus somebody. Because I know <laughs> yes. uh, my favorite is a guy, he works in, a, in a, a corporation where everybody gets phones and you can have a BlackBerry phone or you can have an Android phone or you can have a iPhone. And everybody's coming in saying, oh, I need the new iPhone 6. And he says, why? He says, well, I, I need it. Yeah, well, what does the iPhone 6 do that your Android phone doesn't do? And they don't know because they actually don't use it the way they're supposed to be using it. They just know that they have to have it to be cool. Um, and a lot of times he talks people out of that. Says, well, actually, your C-suite level, your senior management, I would highly recommend that you go into BlackBerry even though it's not – the coolest phone in the world, it is the one that is recognized by high-end executives as the most secure phone. So if you want to make a statement when you whip out your phone and everybody else has got, you know, an iPhone and, oh, and they'll, they'll give you a hard time about it, that's a wonderful opportunity to say, well, I use this phone because it's very, very secure and, and the type of things that, you know, we would talk about in an apartment have to be kept secure. Everybody will shut up. Next time you meet them, two or three of them that are smart will have your phone. You're basically listening to a salesperson that's giving you amazing advice and if you're a sharp person and if you're uh, in the corporate uh, structure and you want to grow in your structure you have to be a very good salesperson yes and what you've just also illustrated there is this smart salesperson has given advice that's a little contrary to popular culture right now right i mean let's face it iphones are the are the most, or, or maybe Androids, Samsungs, you know, they're the most popular phones. And so for the sales rep to say, hey, just a second here, maybe you should go to BlackBerry, um, that is going to cause the buyer in that conversation to sort of sit up and go, huh, what? What's going on? You can't help but want to be engaged in that conversation, whether you agree with them or not. Well, great advice a lot of times is comes right out of left field for people. You know, they've especially when you start to get to more you know decision makers and that's who you should be talking to if you're a salesperson they're surrounded by a lot of people and their job is to just make their life as easy as possible so there's a lot of yes people that they're dealing with there's a lot of people that will say um contrary real to reality because they know that person's kind of thinking in that camp um and if you have a salesperson that stands out by saying well i know that's not what i've heard and they definitely want to hear that information because if it's contrary to what they're hearing with all their other people they're aware that it can't be that easy unless they're very delusional uh and then you don't want to be doing business with that person anyways but if they're a smart executive they're going to be thinking you know i, I need fresh knowledge and if you're a salesperson that can give them a fresh insight, help them out, then it's no longer a sales process. It's probably the best type of sales uh, relationship where, you know, I'm helping you excel because I know if I help you excel, 
you're going to make more money and then you'll be able to afford our product or will trust me when I tell you to buy my line of products over somebody else's line of products. And the most devastating part about that sales technique is that it's it's almost impossible for another salesperson to come in and steal that client away. Absolutely. Almost impossible because you, again, you've developed this, um, this loyalty because you're offering good and different advice. Um, it's really critical that we stand out in a crowd with salespeople uh, because if you look, act, and sound the same as everybody else, then they only have price to differentiate you. But if you're offering additional value or different value, um, then the buyer remains more loyal because they don't just say, well, you know, Bob's the same as Colleen, so I'll just buy the cheapest one. Bob is different from Colleen, right? He's offering me different value, different products, a different perspective, and then that drives customer loyalty. I want to dig down in the book a little bit because it's got so much amazing information in it. And it's, it's you know, you can tell already listening to Colleen, it's pretty uh, astute stuff. So for the person that doesn't have a ton of time, which is basically everybody in the world right now, um, if they're just in a, in a chapters or they run into somebody that has, uh, has this book and they just want to flip to a, a section and read a little bit of it to get an idea, for a, a, a working a sales professional or an executive, um, where should they be jumping to? Should they jump to chapter three and le- read a little bit of that, or should they jump to, to the leverage section, chapter uh, five? Where, where should they start? Well, I think they need to start um, in uh, chapter three, just to make sure that they have the math down. <laughs> because you may say to me, Colleen, I know how to prospect, I know how to network, I make great cold calls, I can ask for referrals. That's fine. But just... Just uh, double check your gut that you're doing enough or you're not doing too much. And I know that sounds funny um, about doing too much, but you do need to balance your selling time between attraction activities and uh, closing and nurturing activities. So I would um, absolutely read chapter three um, first. And then um, uh, I would also read chapter four. And the reason why chapter four is because it really talks about the new way of buying. Um, And I say that uh, specifically from selling, but how prospects are buying and how we need to adapt our own sales process to meet the needs of the new buyer. So then, so now we have a baseline. We know how much work has to be done in order to keep the pipeline flowing. We understand the mindset of the buyer and the buying process so we can facilitate an effective buying process. Um, And after you've got those two chapters down, then I think you could either finish up that section on um, client attraction and do all the prospecting, or if you've got a good base of business, you should jump to the leverage section and read about how to create testimonials and referrals and a community so that you can leverage your existing clients for more success. That, that uh, The leverage section is, is actually incredibly powerful because it's such an obvious step and yet so many people aren't looking at it and giving enough time to it so that they, they've got this continuous flow of, of qualified leads coming in all the time. I mean, you know, you can have a, the best assumed sales funnel as possible, uh, that imaginable, but yeah. unless you have qualified leads, um, then you're going to be spending way too much time going through the chaff before you, you get to anybody that's even worth talking to. Yeah, absolutely. And I really um, 
really believe in the power of the referral and the testimonial. And so if you do have current clients, good clients who will advocate on your behalf, you need to be capturing their success stories, how they're using your product successfully in audio, video, and text so that you can use that to attract more people. It really is the number one client attraction um, strategy when your website is full of testimonials, case studies. And I don't mean just, oh, Colleen is great. I love selling from her. She has nice hair. She's friendly. You know, those kinds of things. We want to know, I used Colleen services and, or, you know, we hired Colleen and she improved our closing ratios from 60% or, you know, uh, six and one rather to three and one. Or we stopped cold calling and now our business is all based on referrals and our revenue is up 30%. That's the kind of stuff that you really want. And when people go to your site, when they're researching and they're doing all of their pre-buying work, they see that and they think, wow, I want some of that. Oh, absolutely. But that's a hard thing to ask for. You know, you're you're requesting, you know, client X and you probably have a bit of a relationship with that client and you're going back and say, hey, we would like to do a referral. Um, can you write us a testimonial or can we interview you on video? That's a big ask. Uh, a lot of times when I do that, I, I'll contact somebody and say, hi, you know, I'd love to get a referral and some feedback. I know you're super busy. How about if I write something for you and you can just edit it until it feels right and then send that back to me? Because it's way easier to edit a pre-existing yeah. note than to start with a blank piece of paper. Absolutely. And I'm very careful about the language here. So I never ask for referrals and I never ask for testimonials. I, I call my clients and ask if I can share their success with others. Very different, right? People, testimonials sometimes, it's just, again, it's a weird sticking point. Can I share your success with others? And salespeople need to also develop a very good reflex um, when they hear something positive. If you're on the phone with me and I say, Bob, you have been instrumental to my success. My business has grown 30% since working for you. Your reaction has to be first, congratulations and thank you. And can I share that success with others? And then I do exactly what you said. My next line is when they agree, how about I write something up? You can go back and edit it, put it on your letterhead, and we're good to go. And then on the referral piece, I never ask for referrals either because it's a difficult question. I would say instead, instead of saying, Bob, who can you refer me to? Or do you have any referrals? Or who do you know? I do the research up front. And this is a very powerful strategy for salespeople. If I want you to refer me to Chris down the road, and I think you might know him because he's a member of your association, I simply say, Bob, I'm going to be giving Chris a call next week. I think he'd be a great fit for my business. Can you help me with an introduction? And if you say yes, that's great. If you say no, then my next question is, um, I can appreciate that um, that that might be a little bit too assertive for you or, hey, thanks for letting me know. Can I at least tell him that we do business together? And that almost always gets a success. If you want to jump right to that, you can do that as well. Bob, I'm going to be calling Chris next week. Can I share your success with him or can I tell him that we do business together? Um, and you almost always get a yes because it's a very specific request. Unless, of course, you hate Chris or he's a mortal enemy. <laughs> You're like, no, you can't sell to him. He's our biggest competitor. <laughs> That's a different conversation. Well, yeah, but then from there, you can always slide off and say, oh, sorry, I had no idea. Um, 
uh, I'll totally respect your privacy. Yeah, and then you can ask for because he's taken a, a lead away from you. Then he's feeling like, oh, well, no, you should talk to Frank. I mean, he's in the similar business, but they, he, they have different verticals from us. They're not in competition. Because if you're really good at your job, uh, the last thing that a person wants to give is your skill sets to uh, the competition. Yeah. You know, if um, it's a great thing because then you're an asset for that company. But with that type of uh, relationship also comes some limitations. I love that you're asking permission. I don't think that's done enough. And in a world where everything is shared, I think uh, people find that refreshing and honest and uh, a good way to be doing business. So I, I really, I don't think I do enough of that. And I'm always, whenever, you know, I do a lot of photography and I, I post it on, on Facebook and basically the premise, hey, take my shots, I don't care. Um, but every now and again, somebody says, hey, I love this shot, I'd, I'd like to use it on Facebook. I say, yeah, absolutely, you know, appreciate it. Don't worry, no credit, don't need it. But it's just nice when somebody asks and it builds a rapport. So everything you do is about building rapport and building trust with the person that you're working with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has to be. Let's talk a little bit about uh, online tools. Now, I, I know so many business people that uh, aren't even on LinkedIn or are on LinkedIn. Oh, dear and Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm shocking. Uh, they just don't get it and they don't understand how powerful it is. The biggest thing that I get from people is, oh, it's just full of salespeople. I said, no, it's it's not. It's a community of professionals. It's not, and these are people that try and do business on Facebook and you just like roll your eyes. For you as, as a sales professional, how important is LinkedIn and what are people doing wrong when they're utilizing LinkedIn? First of all, just for all your listeners out there who might not believe LinkedIn is a tool, 75% of all business uh, professionals are on LinkedIn. So your buyers are there. Um, you need to make sure that you're on there as well. Um, so what we need to do is use LinkedIn in a professional way to communicate your expertise and to participate in communities. You don't want to look like a stalker or a creeper, and you don't want to look like someone who is just trying to sell stuff. So the worst mistake I see people make is they go into LinkedIn, they build a bit of a profile, they connect with all sorts of people, and then they use those connections to just ask for introductions to others. And so you get these emails from people that say, hey, Colleen, I see you know Bob. Can you introduce me? And, you know, A, I might know you, I might not. Bob could be, you know, three times removed from me, so I don't really know. And they're not doing anything to give value away. They're just um, taking, and that's not good. Well, there's a lot of takers out there. I mean, they're on LinkedIn, they're on Facebook, they're everywhere. Um, a lot of times it's not done maliciously. It's just they don't understand that they're a taker. Uh, yeah. They don't understand that they have to give back because if not, the well would run dry. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that's a fundamental problem in uh, the sales industry that the takers aren't taken down and people just put up with them? That's an interesting question. You know, it's a tough one. If somebody's always taking from you, instead of you getting angry, you say, God damn it. That person's <laughs> always, always asking and never gives. It's starting to frustrate me. Well, maybe you should be calling them up and say, hey, Joe, uh, just to let you know, you're really coming off as a taker. Yeah, so the, I guess the question is, um, I would do that if you feel like you need to vent or if you feel like you have a good enough relationship with the person that they would take the unsolicited advice and actually apply it to their life. In most cases, unsolicited advice is only for the sender and it's not going to have the effect that you hope it's going to. And so my tendency would just be to eliminate that person from my life or my network. Um, and 
if they ask why, then I would tell them. Um, unless I really felt the need to vent because what I thought they were doing was unethical. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the biggest challenge that a lot of people have in those situations is they they feel like, oh, I'm just going to tell Mike that he's being a taker and he's going to change and I'll have done the world a better thing. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't go as well as we hoped. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, very good point. I think you have to you have to approach it as uh, politically correctly as possible. But I think it, it, a lot of people out there, they just don't know. It's just like a bad networker. I Like that realtor I mentioned earlier on who was just handing out cars to people. Um, I actually found him and they said, just to let you know, you're being really ineffective. And if you'd like to have a coffee with me, I, I could tell you how to really rock a room like this. And he said, oh, really? Would you help me doing that? He's like, ah, oh. because he was just getting rebutted by everybody or people taking his cars and then turning away from him. And he was picking up on that vibe. Uh, you know, people are 99.9%. .9 they're just trying to do a job. They just don't know that they're doing it the wrong way. And if you go to a person, he explains them, hey, look, you're coming off as a taker, which is basically mean you're always asking, you're never giving. Um, just to let you know, that's, for me, it's, it's bothersome, but probably for a lot of other people, they might find it bothersome. Have you considered X? And then you're saying, this is a problem, but here's the solution. You know, here's a problem, here's the solution. And if they get it, They'll say, oh, I had no idea. Thanks. That's amazing. I say, yeah, well, you'll probably have a big increase in sales because you're becoming part of the community, blah, blah, blah. Either that or they're an asshole. And then it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, okay, then you're a jerk. I don't have to do business with you. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, ultimately, the ultimate um, rejection is that you don't do business with them and they can't make any money off of you, right? So, I mean, that's the ultimate lesson, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, and, you know, it, it's, it makes it very hard for you to refer that person, right? If they say, you know, two or three years down the road, somebody comes and says, I, I want to do business with Frank, and I say, sorry, um, I wouldn't recommend it. And they'd say, why? Well, I don't like to get into details. I just say I wouldn't recommend it. That is way more devastating than saying, oh, he did this, this, and this, because then it leaves the other person's imagination up. And then Frank calls back, oh, I'm really busy, and he just doesn't seem to be able to get any follow-up calls. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Poor guy. And to all the Franks listening, I am sorry. <laughs> We're just using names, random names. What should a person do if they... You know, they've, they've read the book and they want to know more. They're excited. Do you post on LinkedIn a lot? Is there a blog place that they can go to learn more? Yeah, well, they can go um, to my main website, which is engagedselling.com um, or the book website, nonstopsalesboom, of course, .com. But on our website, you'll find links to all of our social media. Um, so the, uh, the blog, our LinkedIn, um, Facebook, which we're all really active on, and our YouTube site, we produce um, a video every week, as well as in-depth articles. Um, that are all available for free. Our newsletter, um, which comes out weekly, which is available for free, and uh, they can they can uh, take advantage of all of those resources. Well, it's super important if you're in sales or in any business, you've got to be sharing knowledge so you can educate. Because as we've mentioned a couple of times in the interview, a lot of people are doing a tremendous amount of research, and if you're providing the answers and insights for that research, you're one of the people that they will have to talk to to really gauge if it's real or not. One last question before we go. What is one thing that the listening audience can do today to start their um, nonstop sales boom? 
The one thing is to spend time every single day doing something to fill the top end of the pipeline. One thing, do not close your computer, end your day, um, go home at night without making one call, sending one email, anything that's going to create the future customer. And if you can get into that habit of doing prospecting work, let's call it that, asking for a referral, writing an article, sending out um, a flyer, whatever it happens to be every single day, then you will always be attracting new business to your pipeline and the closing will come naturally. I lied. I have one more now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned YouTube. Do you think YouTube is doing that for for you by uh, because you know video is becoming more and more relevant and, and prevalent in the communication of uh, what a company offers. Do you think because of social media and, and, and places like YouTube that uh, you're automatically getting those type of things or should you be also promoting them and, and using them in your email and say, hey, it was great chatting with you, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, check out this YouTube um, article we did or this article we did because it might help you with your, your solution. Absolutely. I, I really think that YouTube, uh, not YouTube necessarily, but video is as close to a magic bullet as we get in sales because it does two things. Um, one, well, maybe, maybe three things, but one, it, it gives us a venue to showcase our expertise, but two, because they see you and you physically are on screen, they start to develop a relationship with you. When someone sees you and hears your voice, they start believing that they have a relationship with you. Uh, you know, they imagine what you're like. I mean, no different than we feel like we're friends with DJs or radio hosts or movie stars, right, that we watch on the screen. Um, and it's easy for people to digest. Um, they can just watch it. It's quick, two minutes, five minutes, it's done. So it's very, it has a high impact value. So I think video is fabulous in all businesses. I have never seen a type of business, business to business, business to consumer, big business, small business, that's not able to use video effectively to attract new clients. Yeah, I think the only businesses that, that um, don't do well with videos are the ones that put on really, really long, boring videos. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> you know, with no relevance. This is true. The videos do have to be good. <laughs> yeah, they have to be punchy and they have to actually have value and they have to have relevance to your target demographic, which is a another book of information. Um, yeah. Hey, we've been chatting with Colleen about her book, Nonstop Sales Boom, Powerful Strategies to Drive Consistent Growth Year After Year. It's a fabulous book. Check it out. Even if you're not in sales, you should be reading it anyways because it will help you climb the corporate ladder or help friends. So, Colleen, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. It was great to be here, and I look forward to staying in touch with you and your listeners. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash Business Book Talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.